This is a post-Christian podcast. Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. And we're live. Welcome to Bright Lake Bowl. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. Hey, every person. Um, so what's the deal today? The deal is I forgot the normal tripod, so I have a tiny tripod that I'm going to start doing live Instagrams with, so I'm using that today. Um, what is, what are we, where are we today? What is today, the 26th? No, I'm 76 You're 76 today? Birthday, well, it's Bob's birthday, everybody. Well, happy birthday, Bob. You. You're younger than my dad. My dad just turned 80. Yeah, yeah. He had like a big 80th birthday TV show. I've never seen this, really seen the show, but my supposedly my sister did this tribute to Vestal Goodman, and she sang and totally brought the house down. My sister's voice. I just heard, I just heard a recording uh, of a song my sister did, and her voice is. And I'm not saying this because of my sister. I mean, it is amazing. Her voice is just what she can do with her voice. You know, I mean, my mom was a great singer, but my mom always was just like, well, projected, projected. But my sister just has like this nuance, and she's just able to control her voice, and it's very beautiful. So I'm really looking forward. She's got some songs on iTunes now, Tammy Sue Baker on iTunes. So check it out. <laughs> um, we are in Galatians still. And Galatians is my favorite book of the Bible. Is it fun to have a favorite book in the Bible and then also have a least favorite part of your favorite book in the Bible? That's today. Four. Oh, Galatians 4. The J. Baker version of Galatians will, will have Galatians 4 omitted <laughs> from it. <laughs> um, no, it's good because it, it goes along. I mean, I love, uh, I love Galatians. I just talked to somebody who's thinking about doing a whole conference where it would all be different people reading Galatians and discussing Galatians. And so I was like, I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. So I sent him a thing of a picture of Bruce Lee fighting all these guys, knocking them all down. I was like, this will be me at your conference. (laughs) Bringing the pain. Um, I think I didn't get invited because of that, but that's okay. Um, Man, life is crazy. I have been, my, Son is was born on August twenty seventh, and so he has this birthday where you can either go to school now to kindergarten or wait a year. And so I've been looking at kindergartens for Milo and uh, me and my ex, and it is overwhelming. You know, there's just some things in life you have to do. You have to adult, so you just do it. You know what I mean? But I made the decision like. There's only going to be a few things I'm going to let myself be forced to do in my life. My child's education is one of them. <laughs> and if revolution can stay alive, I'm going to think you should keep doing this. Um, anyway, we got some folks on Facebook. We got some folks here. And as always, I'm glad you guys are here. So let's talk about Galatians for a second. Let's talk about Galatians. Um, Paul is, once again, he is laying out his defense as though he's at court, laying out his defense for his message of grace, because there's a group of people called Judaizers, um, 
who are coming in and saying, you know, Christianity needs to be a part of Judaism and we need to keep the laws, we need to keep the traditions in order for you to be a real Christian, you really need to be circumcised. And Paul is very unhappy about this. <laughs> you know, and um and so the and and also groups are are separating from from the um, Gentiles, you know, being not wanting to associate with Gentiles and saying, "Oh, we're not," and, and creating an us and them environment. And Paul is seems very devastated about that. Um, so he, one 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 thing he's it's a rebuke letter, it's also a defense letter, and it's probably the best written book on grace in the Bible. So. And the other day I was on on Twitter, which I've gotten back into, and um, I, somebody was like defending slavery in the Bible and being like, oh, no, they, they were happy slaves. You know, it was really funny. And this guy was basically, this, this one of the guys on Twitter was like saying, no, you know, this is awful, this is horrible. And this one guy's like, you know, God gave us a book so we could understand it, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just sitting there going like, you know, as Christians, we should know that the Bible is not a book. It's a collection of letters, poems, and stories. Um, It's like a library. So when he's like, God gave us a book, I wanted to be like, which book? You know, and then I realized that I just didn't want to go down some weird, weird, like, theological argument on Twitter um, Twitter sometimes to me feels like a dumpster fire, um, but it's also kind of fun, you know. Um, I love Instagram; that's my, my jam. Um, so if you're watching here, follow me on Instagram because I love it. Um, you get to see really cute pictures of my kids, and you get to see me. And guess who I'm subtweeting or sub Instagramming through my through my Instagram messages? Um, it's so funny. Um, and then I'll go back on to Galatians. But when I first started, like, getting back out again and stuff and going to, like, dive bars and stuff, I remember putting pictures up on Instagram and stuff, and I remember Bob being like, Jay, uh, everything okay there, buddy? <laughs> I love dive bars. I do not like alcohol. I mean, I used to really like alcohol, but I know what it does to me. Um, but it is kind of funny because you never know what, you know, you just put those out there and there's no explanation, you know. But I'm also very grateful to have people like Bob in my life that if my ass does fall off, I know that I'm going to be picked back up. And that's grace, you know. You're just like, hey, buddy, you know, do we need to go to some meetings, you know. And that's great. That's grace. Um, so, ugh, it is, it's a wonderful day. Um, Galatians. Let's look at Galatians. Well, let's look. We ended at three, and I think three ends on such a powerful note that maybe we'll just just go over that again, um, just part of it on twenty eight, where Paul says, Paul lays it down really hard for these folks, and it lays it down really hard for a lot of us, I think. Um, where he says in twenty goes, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he's saying your identity 
if you are a follower of Christ, should be that of Christian. Not Democrat, not Republican, not Jew, not Gentile or Greek or male or fleet male or slave or free, but that we should realize that we are one. There's no hierarchy in that system of faith. Isn't that interesting that we're part of a, 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 a faith that says there's no hierarchy, but if you go to a church, it often feels like there's totally a hierarchy, you know, and who's in and who's out, who can volunteer, who can't volunteer, who can be a part of it, you know, um, you know, to the point where they're like, oh, he's the man of God, he's anointed, you know, and blah, 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 you know. And, and what happens is when we start to think that certain people have a special anointing or a special calling, um, you get into um, you get into some trouble, and there 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 was this documentary on Instagram on, on Instagram hmm. on uh, Netflix called The Family, and part of their theology was is like, well, you know, God used David, you know, and David was a murderer and blah blah blah. So we've got to protect our leaders, you know, even though they might be stealing money or having affairs or doing these things, they're still chosen by God. And so we have to protect them. And you get into this really weird theology. Um, it is funny, though, because I saw some cracks in one of my friends, uh, one of my family members, who's an extremely huge Trump supporter. Um, I won't name them, but you might be able to guess. And they're like, I was like, well, what about this and this and this? And he's like, well, God can even, you know, speak through an ass or whatever like that. And all of a sudden I was like, you know, there comes the cracks. You know, it's like that grasping at that, those straws of like, you know, well, they might not be perfect, but, and you know, and no one is perfect. I get that. But, you know, we're all supposed to be one in Christ, and we're all supposed to, um, it's hard to be like, you know, there's no identity in Christ. There's no social hierarchy in Christ, you know, because we live in a time right now, especially in this country, where ID politics are huge, you know, and um, and it, and I think what what Paul's saying is is we can't use those in negative ways. We can't use those to exclude anybody. And I think that's why identity politics are so big is because people have used other people's identities to exclude them. I mean, even as my myself, you know, I mean, I'm at the top of the 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 chain, you know, I'm a heterosexual white male, you know. Um, but, like, I know that I, I feel like people sometimes belittle me because of who my family is, you know what I mean, or because of how I believe a certain different theology than someone else does. So I get the idea of saying there's something about me that I can't change, you know, that I'm being taken down for, I mean, get, being, you know, it doesn't seem fair, it, it, it can hurt. And, and, and the strange thing is, is in my situation, I just have people like, well, that's just reality, so suck it up, you know? You're like, okay. Um, but I just think it's important that Paul's saying, you know, there's not even male or female. I mean, he's taking out gender, you know? He's saying we are all one in Christ. And if we really believed that, I think we would have better conversations. I think we'd have better arguments. I think we would have a better church. You know, and uh, Paul even earlier on in Galatians says, "I'm I'm no, I'm no um, 
respect, you know, it's like I went and talked to these leaders, but, you know, what they said didn't really matter because God shows no favorites. So he's just saying, like, even, even like this hierarchy of like the apostles and stuff, I can even speak truth to them because we're all one in Christ. And this is a scary idea. I get it because grace is scary because grace is for anybody and for everybody. Usually for people you don't want it for, that's who grace is for, okay? Like freedom of speech. And, um, and so getting this idea that where there's this equalizer and there is no hierarchy, you kind of get into this almost anarchist way of thinking. And it's a scary place to be. You know, I mean, this is what happened in the Bible is that God was like, I'll be your leader. And they're like, no, give us a king, give us a leader, give us this. No, no, you don't need that. No, we need it. We have to have it. We need, to, we need someone to tell us what to do. We need this kind of system. And, um, and so God gave that to them. But, and we see what happened. Um, so Paul is once again coming in and saying, I'm going to include more people. And so that's the, how the Bible evolves. It evolves in this inclusive way. It includes people more and more and more. And I think we're building on a foundation of inclusion in the Bible. You see what Jesus does. You see Jesus slowly being moved every now and then by Gentiles, even though he's like, I'm not here for you. And then they convince him that maybe maybe you are. And then Paul comes on and says, yes, Gentiles. Everybody who's not a Jew can be a Christian. This is for everyone. And so... It builds on this inclusive idea, and I think we're, you know, Jesus said you'll do greater things than I. I think we're supposed to continually build on this concept of inclusion with grace. And, you know, it seems like the life continues to bring us all sorts of different types of people, uh, you know, that we always, you know, someone else to leave out. And the test is, is are you going to leave them out? Really? And I think the, the answer is no. Um, Let's get into this a little bit so I can talk about it some more. Um, Galatians 4.1. My point is this. Heirs, as long as they are minors, are no better than slaves. Though they are owners of all the property, though they are owners of all the property, but they remain under a guardian and trustee until the date is set by the father. So until they are 13 or 18, whatever the time was then, um, they are still under the, under the trustee. Um, and he's saying this is what the law was like. This is what the law, we had the law for a time, and, and uh, we had the law for a time, and it was there to be a guardian to us, until we knew what to do, but then Christ came to show us the reality of what God is, the reality of faith. You know, and now we have that, and we no longer need this guardian. So with us, while we were minors, we were enslaved to the eternal spirits of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. So we're adopted. We were one with Christ. We are God's children. And because you are children of God, because you are children, God has sent you the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, which is like daddy, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child then is also an heir through God. So we've been adopted. We've been brought in. You know, Paul's saying, Gentiles, 
those who've been like left out, you're not left out anymore. You are children. You are heirs to the message of grace. You are accepted. And that's really good news. Um, and so this is, once again, Paul's defense of his theology, his theology of everyone's included. You're all children of Abraham, all Abraham's offspring. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to being that by nature and not God's. So formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to beings that by nature are not God's. Because we were under man's rule, man's ideas, man's thought, man's religion, legalism. Um, Now, however, that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn your back again to this weak and beggarly elementary spirit, which he's saying the law, tradition? Um, how can you want to be enslaved to them again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid that my work for you may have been wasted. So he's saying you're just grabbing back onto all these traditions, all these ideas of what you grew up with and what you were told, and you're becoming slaves to those things. And that's the danger of legalism is that it comes into our life and it controls us. But it gives us also a sense of peace because isn't it nice to be told what to do in some ways? So for a while you're like, well, this is what they say. This is what they tell me to do. I don't have to think for myself. I don't have to do this. I know this is bad because they've told me it's bad and they said this. And all of a sudden he's saying, no, it's not about that. He's like, my work is useless to you if you don't accept the grace that you are, grace this concept of acceptance. If you don't realize that this inclusion is real. It's, it, 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 it's, uh, it, it's tough. Anyway, we'll go on a little bit more. Friends, I beg you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You, are, you have done no wrong. You've done me no wrong. You know, that it, how, <clears throat> you know that it was because of my physical infirmity that I first announced the gospel to you, because Paul has some sort of sickness and there's all sorts of ideas and thoughts of what it was. Nobody really knows. Though my condition put you to test, you did not scorn or despise me, but welcomed me as an angel of God, as, as Christ Jesus. So, you know, he's, he's reminding them, you guys gave me goodwill, you guys took care of me, you showed me grace, you showed me mercy. But then he goes on, what has become of the gospel you felt? For I testify that had I been possible, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Did it stop? Let me see. Here, I can do this. See if that works. Uh, Hopefully, we're back on. I'm not sure. We'll see. Let me know. Are you watching it? Okay, well, I just took, took, oh, broadcast failed. Dang it. Now I have to keep it. Save. Crap. We're going to have to figure this out because now it's a two-part. Dang it.
Sorry, everybody. Okay, we'll put that up later. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> Technical difficulties. It says saved. All right, I'm starting again. Hopefully it works. All right, we're back. Sorry, everybody. This is part two of part two of four. What? 4B. Um, hopefully some people make it back on. Um, we'll see. We'll, we'll figure this out. We're almost to five. Fingers crossed. So Paul says here, he goes, have I now become your enemy by, test, by telling you the truth? And so that often happens in life, in the real world, is sometimes when you speak truth or you have questions and you have theologies that you feel are, 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 are true, um, you become enemies to people. I, I, I talked about this on, on one of my posts about how, you know, when you love your enemies, that's one thing. But when you start to love others' enemies, you can hurt people. And then they, those people who you love can become your enemies because you're loving their enemies. You know, and it becomes this weird thing. And everybody's like, you know, and everybody wants an asterisk on that loving your enemies thing. I mean, we really do. You know, people are like, well, are you, you know, support, you know, being a, you know, supporting abuse, or you supporting this, you know, and it's like, you know, I don't think so. I honestly think, too, that you can love from afar as well. I don't think you have to be with somebody constantly. I mean, obviously, that's true. Paul's loving from afar with this letter. He's not there, but he's showing love. He's showing grace. He's showing respect. He's also giving a rebuke at the same time, you know, but doing it in the most loving way he can, you know, like reminding them how much they were full of grace and stuff. So that's pretty amazing. Um, But I just think about how many people have spoke their truth, spoke their convictions, and been vilified for that. And that's kind of what's happening to, to Paul here, is that he's becoming kind of vilified for speaking the truth. What he feels the truth is, is that everyone's accepted and that the law is dead. I mean, it's really radical stuff because he's reforming religion. He's taking this whole thousands of years of religion and basically saying, no, these, these, this has got to change. The majority of all these rules and regulations from the Torah aren't rules and regulations that we need to live by anymore. It's Christ alone. And that's pretty radical. Um, so getting your, following your convictions can get you in trouble. Um, standing up for what you believe can, will get you in trouble. So he goes, they make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to exclude you so that you may make much of them. Did you hear that? They want to exclude you so that you'll make much of them. Like, 
they somehow will be like, I, see, I have the power because I can exclude you. You know, we, when we go, when it, oh, they must, be, they must be important because they can make the rules of who can be in and who can be out. You know, and often that comes with power is all of a sudden it's like, well, we're afraid of these people. If the majority is afraid of a certain group, usually the leaders aren't leading. They're following the opinions of what the majority is thinking because they're afraid that they'll turn on them. They're afraid that they won't have convictions. They're afraid they won't think for themselves. You know, and that's one thing I've always wanted as a as a pastor is not been this been able to be somebody who who leads that way of saying, you know, this is who's in, this is who's out. I no, I want to follow what, you know, what is the congregation thinking? That's why we do afterglow. That's why we have conversations with one another. Is to say, what are where are we at together? This isn't like some like I am the man of God and the voice of God. And when I went up onto the hill yesterday, this is what God told me. So please do not question it. No, I, I'm a human being like you. I'm working this stuff out the best I can. You know, um, I have my own issues. You know, I mean, I've got my own unconscious desires that I don't even understand. You know, that I'm, I'm having to work through. Um, it is good to be made much of for good purposes at all times and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for when I am, I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I were present with you now and I could ch- change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So he's like, I don't even want to write a rebuke letter. I don't want to tell you that, that I don't want to piss you off. I don't want to give you a hard time. I don't want to hurt you. You know, you're like my children, but I don't know any other way to do it because this is the only form I have to, to communicate with you, and I'm in pain because I'm seeing you go back to these useless traditions and ideas. You know, so I, 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 and he's saying I'm perplexed. And how many of us are perplexed by when we see people who are claiming Christ and doing things that are unchristlike? You know, we see it all the time, and I mean, it's—I mean, half of the Twitter feeds I follow, they survive on pointing out people who do that. You know, and so Paul's saying, "I'm perplexed about you." We'll go on. Four is such a hard one to get through. Um, Tell me, you who desire to be subject to the law. Will you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. One, the child of a slave, was born according to the flesh. The other, the child of the free woman, was born through the promise. Now this is an allegory. These women are two covenants. One woman, in fact, is Hagar. From Mount Sinai, bearing a child for, bearing a child for, uh, um, sounds like bearing a child for slavery. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai of Arabia, and corresponds to the presence of Jerusalem, for she is the slavery with her children. But the other woman corresponds to Jerusalem. Above, she is free, and she is our mother, for it is written. Rejoice, you children, 
childless one, you who bear no children, burst into song and shout, you who endure no birth pains, for the child of, of the dissolute, dissolute woman are more numerous than the child of the one who is married. Um, but the idea here is, is Abraham was received a promise from an angel saying, <laughs> it's interesting, interesting when you get angels showing up um, to your place to tell you're going to have a kid, um, and you're 90, kind of bizarre. Um, but because Abraham believed the promise, he was made righteous. But then as soon as he was made righteous, then he second-guessed and went and slept with another woman to try to create this child that was promised to him, you know. It's just human beings being human beings. It's saying, you know, and I, what I like the fact about Abraham being the father of grace or this idea of the father of, of you know, grace is that you still see the humanity of the doubting of grace, of doubting inclusion, of doubting the acceptance, of doubting the promise. So we all have doubt. Doubt is just part of our belief system. I think Doubt and faith are, are, are cousins, if you will. Now you, my friends, are children of the promise like Isaac. But just as all the time the child was born according to the flesh, persecuted to the child who is born according to the spirit, so it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Drive out the slave and her child, for the child of the slave will not share in the inheritance with the child of the free woman. So then, friends, we are children not of... This is a really weird... We jump into five for a second. Slave, but of the free woman. For freedom in Christ has set us free. This is five one. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He's saying this adoption, you've been adopted now. You're no longer slave children. You're no longer that covenant of the slaves versus no slaves is done. That idea is gone. Now we are all one in Christ. This allegory was, here's the free woman, here's the slave woman. Now Paul's saying, we are all one in Christ. And this is the radical message of grace. You know, there's no longer us and them. You know, we are all one. And so if anything... Uh, I think we lost the link again. Great. Um, if anything, we've got to, I don't know, figure out a way to live this in everyday life. How can we be, how can we set ourselves free from man's religion and human legalism and men's legalism and live a life of inclusion for all people and get away from that. Because that's what Paul is basically saying here. If we move away a little bit, even from the story, Paul is saying, you know, tradition be damned. It's time for us to be a community. A community of all. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your background is, no longer what your, your, where you lay in a system of hierarchy, all that is done we are all called to be one, unified in Christ. Now, that would be radical, and that's a scary idea, and I don't know if we'll ever get there, to be honest with you, because I just don't know if human nature would allow us to accept such a radical message and live in such a way. Um, 
I don't even know. I, I think we've just been trained so much in a way of, of thinking with an American ways of thinking and um, consumerism, um, you know, capitalism, you know, all these things that I don't know if we, it would take a few generations to break free from those ideas for us to really be united and one in Christ. Theology would look a lot different. There might be a lot more denominations, but the denominations would look a lot different too. Um, and yes, there would be some chaos, I believe. But uh, but as the Joker said, I'm an agent of chaos. <laughs> so I don't know that that's that's where Galatians is today. Galatians four has always been a tough one for me to get through. Um, I'm glad we got through it because I'm really stoked on Galatians five and six. So um, yeah, there is my Galatians four talk. So we're going to do some questions. Anybody have any thoughts? Galatians. Galatians? <laughs> I think it's ear, It's like creepily, eerily uh, familiar what Paul is saying when he's trying to reform religion, saying, no, no, everyone's accepted. Like, you know, this is grace. It's like, haven't we been over this? Like, looking at the modern church, it's like the, the extent to which the lack of inclusion goes is eerily familiar, I think. Yeah. And it's it's just yeah it's it's really good to hear to hear that especially coming from a pulpit in air quotes you know from what whatever that thing is from a stage in a church also in air quotes you know music stand <laughs> from a music stand yeah I think one of the uh, I mean Paul was so ticked off at the people that were saying I always bring this up every time we're at this point um, that we should observe all the rules and Paul says if you think circumcision is good so what you're saying why don't you guys get castrated because that's <laughs> yeah. much better yeah you know and, other, and that's exactly what he says in the original document and when you read it in King James or anywhere else it doesn't touch that that level of ferocity he was really pissed off that these people would would want to go back on all these rules and laws and the whole idea about uh, the the uh, the slave women's children are that's that's the, the community. Yeah. Um, and in this time, particularly when some of the fundamentalism and conservatism that's coming into our country, which is kind of saying, well, now wait a minute, we can't we can't have these drag queens doing story hours in libraries, oh, and yeah. we can't have uh, bathrooms. You know, you have to go to the bathroom determined by your um, physical equipment, yeah. which is, I mean, this is getting ridiculous. There's nobody I know that in their house has a male bathroom and a female bathroom. <laughs> they have one bathroom, yeah, and everybody goes there. Yeah, but we, um, I think you hit it right when you said that uh, commercialism and capitalism, in other words, with enough money you can buy better things. Right now, I'm really excited about an organization called All Square. They have a, uh, they make craft grilled cheese sandwiches, but the whole thing is to support uh, the fact that when someone has served the time given to them by a judge, they should be able to return to complete citizenship. Yeah. And in this society, that doesn't happen. My my roommate, I think one of the reasons he used, is that he's afraid that they're going to do his background check and say, "Sorry, we don't want you here." Yeah. And he doesn't want to go through that embarrassment. So we're all one. My roommate should be able to work 
regardless of what his criminal background was. Um, and that's the whole idea of real grace is I have no right to set myself apart from any man or any woman. Yeah. Um, I mean, my dad can't vote. He can't. What? You say he can't vote? No, he can't vote because he went to prison. <coughs> yeah, let's see. Uh, oh, maybe that's a federal thing. State, yeah. State-wise, because I was in prison, oh, okay. but once, once you're off probation, maybe he's not off probation yet. No, he is. It's just federal. It's, I think it's a federal. It's for a federal offense. Okay. Um, but uh, it's crazy. And a lot of it is set up because of this whole idea of capitalism. Well, make some money. You know, uh, the conservatives just say, well, if these people would only make money, like we need to have drug testing for welfare. Well, bullshit. These yeah. people work harder than most people I know. And the racially, the brown and black and yellow people have a much harder time in this society. Wrong. We are all the same. Um, so this society does not promote grace. This society promotes antagonism because they can make money on it. You know, the frankly, there was just a judge in the South that was finally they convicted him because he was convicting minors and sending them to a commercial prison, and they were giving him a kickback on each minor he sent to the prison. Jeez. I mean, it's it's a nightmare. That's not justice. No. That's bullshit. Yeah. So I'm a little heated about this whole issue. I get it. No, I mean, I, I think grace is grace, and everyone is the same, and no one is any different. All of my people, my my sponsees, feel so evil because they use. No, they're just the same. I'm just the same as they are, and they're just the same as me. One day at a time, and sometimes getting fairly close to using. I've, I've put quite a number of years together of sobriety, but I'm not counting days. I'm just joyous that today I am free. Yeah. That's grace. Yeah. Amen. Now I'll shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Even talking to people like about healthcare in our country, um, it's really fascinating because people think that you have to earn it. Or you have to do something to deserve your health care. Like, you know, if you get it for free, what what makes you deserve to have free health care? Yeah. And it's really interesting because I feel like it puts a value on lives, like a monetary value. And I don't know how we get away from that, where it's like everybody has a right to live, regardless, you know, they're using and overdosing and need to be brought back or, you know, whatever, uh, cancer, whatever, that how do we get out away from that? How do we change that thinking? Because, it, it, I mean, the nicest people that you talk to will have that opinion. I know some, yeah. I mean, I know some people who are the gold of the earth, but that when it comes to that, they're like, well, I have to pay more health care. Be- I have to pay more for health care because these people who are on Obamacare, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I just I just did a thing where I mean, I went into my therapist's office and gave him my card. I'm on Obamacare now. You know, and the lady behind me was like, "Oh, these cards look much nicer." And she's like, "You know, there's no shame in this. There's no shame." You know, and I'm like, "Well, that feels a little shameful that uh, you just told me that there was no shame in the fact that I'm on you know, public <laughs> health care, but okay. Glad the cards look nicer." <laughs> She told me I should go. I can go to the gym too on it. I don't know. That was the side note, but 
no, I mean, it's just weird. It's, it's weird, to, you know, because I think what happens is, is I, I saw this Bernie Sanders thing, and he said, you know, to do health care, we're going to have to become other-minded, you know, and we're all going to have to realize that we're in this together. And I think that's the hard thing is because of capitalism and things like that, we've been told it's about our hard work or it's about our kids, it's about us, you know what I mean? And it's <clears throat> the others should be doing as much as I'm doing. Or I must be doing it right because I have it and I'm paying a lot for it, you know. Why, why, why shouldn't I do it? Or like I saw this video of this guy yelling at uh, Elizabeth Warren um, and he's like, well, are you going to pay me back for my college tuitions that I had to pay for my daughters to go to school? And she's like, of course not. And he was like, well, how is that fair? Are you going to pay you to give people free college now? And then I had to pay for it? You know what I mean? And it's the whole idea of like, I had to do it, so you should too. And it's just the idea of how do we get people to become, one is how do we not scapegoat those people and have some sort of empathy and try to understand them? Because I think it's dangerous. If we scapegoat them, we aren't able to have conversations but how do we get each other to be more other-minded, you know, community-minded? And how do we see community outside of just their safe community? You know, how do they see community like where I live, you know, where there is lots of crime? And, you know, you know, I live with a majority of Somalian folks, you know what I mean? And, 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 and people look down on that, you know? And it's like, how do we get people to just get out of that us and them mentality. And that's, I think, what Paul is trying to do here is saying, we're all one. We should all be taken care of. You know, I mean, I think, you know, it's kind of a socialist idea. I mean, I think that's probably why Martin Luther King Jr. was more socialist. Yep. Right? I saw a great meme. A guy is standing right in front of a snowplow, and this is a conservative protesting socialist snowplows. Because that's socialism. Right. We all pay our taxes, and, you know. <laughs> and so he was protesting the socialists' uh, snowplow. All of the things that people, you know, you talk about Social Security and Medicare, and oh, those are good things. Well, yeah. What are you talking? This is a socialist thing. No, it's not. Yeah. It's it's weird to talk to like people like you know. Pete and people from you know, like and Barry, you know, when they talk about healthcare, because they're from the UK, and so it's all taken care of, you know. And they're like, "Your country is so weird. Like, you're, you know, how much it costs to go to the doctor? It doesn't make sense, you know." And uh, not that their systems are perfect, but yeah, it's like whatever you whatever you inherited is the absolute. Yeah, kind of thing. Vicky and I were talking earlier about. Whenever someone says any sort of a sentence that starts with, well, the founding fathers believed. And so, like, that's your justifier. You know, like, the, the only resource that you have to validate your opinion is that it was there before. Yeah. You know, like, well, well, this was already here, so it should still be here. Tradition. You know, yeah, tradition. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I think what you were reading from Galatians 4 today, the whole book is about discrimination. Yeah. He's just saying over and over again, don't discriminate. Don't discriminate. Everyone deserves to be loved. Everyone matters. And he's and, and it's interesting because he's doing it in a way where he has to say, point out a group of people that are wrong, but reminding them at the same point that they're also free. 
because he does that with Peter and he does that with a few other people. He's like, why, you know, we are already free. We've always been free. Why would we make these people feel like they're not, you know? Why don't we remember what, for us, what it feels like to be God's chosen or whatever, you know what I mean? Now they're adopted in. Now they're a part of us. You know, he's like trying to remind them at the same time that, you know, this isn't just for them. It's also you, you know, you guys who are doing this, but he's also very angry at them. And you, so you see this like humanity come out, you know, where he at one point says he wishes they would castrate themselves and then gives grace and then goes into another grace talk. I mean, I, really, the, the humanity of Paul is there. There's, he is, to say that this book was just dropped down from God, I would be like, God, you know, you could have used somebody else than Paul because Paul could have just kept like left out the castration part. Now, if Paul stood up in the average church to talk, people would say, he can't say that in the pulpit, you know? Paul well, wouldn't be a pastor today because there'd be videos of him getting Christians killed. Yes, exactly. You know? None of these guys would. You know, and most American Christians would be afraid because they all look like Middle Eastern men. I get so pissed off at the pictures of the, the wonderful Christians that say, give your life to Christ, and here's this European <laughs> guy pictured, and that's not how Christ looked. I keep, I, for a while, I, I would say that's not the way that Christ looked. People say, what do you mean? Well, National Geographic's did a thing where they re, they found a skull from that time, and then they built skin around it and did all this stuff, and then put the tone and everything. I'm like, okay, this is what an average person looked like in Jesus' day, you know? And he is obviously a Middle Eastern man with very dark skin, with very tightly curled hair. You know what I mean? It's just like, this what guy would be make people feel uncomfortable. This is the type of people that, you know, I want to be rich so I don't have to live around this It's a terrorist you know? bomber. That's, That's what, what they would think, think, that he was a terrorist. I uh, printed that picture off with a picture of Saddam Hussein next to it. Nice. It <laughs> persecuting me, and I posted it around my theology department when I was, was going to school. I did that picture next to Malcolm X and did a thing, a sermon about it and was like, and the funny thing is in the picture, the Jesus reconstruction guy is darker, darker than Malcolm, Malcolm X. X. Yeah. You know, so we have no clue. I don't know. I don't know how we get to so disillusioned. I'm per- perplexed. <laughs> I didn't do my Christmas cards this last year, but what I was planning to do was to have this verse. Every Islamic jihadist and Jesus once was suckled at the breast of his brown mother. Yeah. I mean, we're all, we all start this. <laughs> Yeah. What just occurred to me is that the biblical Jesus, the uh, Christian understanding of Jesus, would be an asexual, huh? Because he was, he had no yeah. sexual attraction to anybody. So the biblical Jesus would be LGBTQIA plus, I guess technically. <laughs> well, do we have any more feedback? Any? More questions? All right, everybody. Thanks for coming to Revolution. Um, reminder, uh, you know, we survived through donations. So if you'd like to make a donation, um, 
we'd we appreciate that. You can also go to revolutionchurch.com and do that. Um, some folks did that on Facebook last week, and I was really, really awesome. So it's nice to see people really uh, helping the church uh, survive, because that's how we survive, through donations. So um, thank you so much, and have a good week. Hi, I'm Caleb with Post-Christian Podcasting. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like The Sacred Collective. Carol knew I was gay, and I started falling in love with her, and it became pretty clear to me that I was falling in love with her. So I went to another nun and said, I don't know what to do because I'm falling in love. And uh, I and she was a counselor. And I said, I, I really like her. I'd like to, and she said, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I'd like to tell her. And because she's the director over me, she's the person I go to who helps me make decisions, discern parts of my life. That would be a normal thing to tell her this. But I'm afraid that by doing that, I'd lose the great friendship we've already got. Because she might say, as another nun, oh, geez, you know, we need to probably put some space between us. And maybe we shouldn't be living in the same house with all these other sisters. Maybe you should live in a different house or whatever. So I was, so my, the counselor said, well, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I'd like to tell her, but I'm afraid of what will happen if I do. Sorry, could that have gotten you, so that could not have gotten you like, kicked out or no because uh, i wasn't doing anything wrong right you know right. Uh-huh. but but it so would be, preference couldn't it, preference couldn't get you i don't know what the, not kicked out i don't know what the term is no at that time um like i was i was open with the people that were deciding whether or not i could even start out sure, becoming okay. a sister which okay. i did start out and uh-huh. i said yeah you know i'm uh-huh. gay and uh-huh. i'm cool with that and they were like well you know you need to be celibate and i was like right i know okay, that. Oh, hello i mean you know most i mean at that time you would know that people who are nuns so um there would be some communities who wouldn't want you mm-hmm. but this one was was okay, okay with that you know and it doesn't mean every single little old nun was but in general you know it's like fine as long as you're celibate right. and you're able to live it cool and so so this nun says well what do you want to do and i said i want to tell her but i'm afraid what will happen if i do and she said well do you want to go through your life making decisions based on your choice of what you want to do or based on the fear of what will happen if you do what you want to do? That was a post-Christian podcast.